Good evening, old chaps, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for the friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. I'm your host, Mike Keller, and I'm joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Today, we're starting off a new triple feature from Kit. Uh, what's the theme of our triple, and uh, what will we be discussing today, Kit? Um, so, I mean, the theme of the triple is sort of, I want to watch Meet Joe Black. Um, but based on that, I thought of other movies that are about, <clears throat> like, romance movies that involve um, death in a kind of supernatural way. Um so like ghost but ghost isn't one of the movies um and so the theme is love and death and the movies are today a matter of life and death uh next time we podcast it will be uh truly madly deeply starring alan rickman and the lady whose name i don't know who plays a mean lady in every jane austen adaptation and uh meet joe black finally I gotta watch two movies I haven't heard of until I get to watch Jeep Mitchell Black. <laughs> um, yeah, but Alan Rickman's in one of them. Okay, that makes a difference. <clears throat> I'm most excited about today's picture. You so should be excited about Mitchell Black because you haven't seen it yet, and you're gonna love it. Yeah, I bet it's what three you, hours long or something like that. Yeah, but you like you <laughs> you like 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yes, true. Yes, <laughs> that's true. All, all, <laughs> if it's all three hour movies. Are about <laughs> roughly the same in quality. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, Kit, since you're, um, I guess, have you seen this? Uh, I, I assume you've seen all three of those before, but have you seen? Yeah, no, you seen I haven't seen before? Truly Madly Deeply. I haven't even heard of Truly oh, Madly Deeply. Okay, cool. Um, <clears> but you've <throat> seen this one from today? Yes, this is one of my favorite movies. Okay. Andrew, and have weirdly, you seen this one before? It oh. is on the American Friend Institute list, right? We should, we should. Say what now? Isn't it? I'm not sure. I haven't consulted that list in some time. I'm going <laughs> I to uh, pull it up right now because that okay. seems a worthwhile thing to note given our I, podcast sponsor. I know I didn't vote for it. <laughs> well, you hadn't seen it. Now you would. Yeah, I would definitely vote for it now. That's Let's see. Um, a matter of life. Number 75 on the American Friend Institute, just above Buffalo 66 and below Eyes Wide Shut, which we also didn't mention was on the American <laughs> Friend Institute. Oh, okay. We're really good at <clears throat> making sure this list is well-maintained and curated. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um. Um. <laughs> Five Goes West is number 44. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I had not seen this movie, and I had not heard of this movie i mean i'm sure i had heard the name since we put the list together but mm. i don't yeah i've never seen it yeah i'd seen it before and uh i didn't i didn't see it though until uh criterion put out the restored 
like Blu-ray and everything mm-hmm. probably uh, two years ago or so. And, um, but yeah, it's a good film. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> roll, roll credits. But, yep. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. Uh, but no, I guess somebody go ahead and, I mean, just launch in with your thoughts. I don't know who wants to take the lead. Hmm. Is it, should Andrew go first because he hasn't seen it? Or is I it can more go first. suspense? Okay. Um, so yeah, I had never seen this movie. I had never heard of this movie. I knew almost nothing going into this movie other than what was on the box art um, and roughly what your the theme of your triple was. Um, that is one of the best opening scenes I have ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, <clears throat> it is, and I don't know, and I, I'd, I'd like to see, like, um, uh, maybe some, maybe I'll try to find some, like, clips from before the restoration because I think I, it's like I have a hard time thinking that, it's just amazing that this movie is so, is this freaking beautiful and i have never heard of it so i think criteria must have done a really good job not saying that it wasn't beautiful beforehand but i just i was blown away by the color and especially in that opening scene those colors just it looked very modern to me too which Mm -hmm. i thought was interesting and i couldn't tell like and then uh, that then in my head i was thinking like and did criterion go a little too far you know you know i don't know were they not preserving um but anyway but anyway it was beautiful and um that's probably a lot of what i would will want to talk about um from my perspective is just all of the things that I noticed that um, were very, very striking image um, image wise. Um, uh, I'm going to kind of just go sort of out of order here. But Mm -hmm. um, one thing I noticed uh, that I thought was incredible. I mean, the whole thing's pretty well shot, but the, um, uh, the, the, where they first introduced the motorcycle, the uh, doctor on the motorcycle. Yes. That is, First of all, totally thrilling, um, but it's not rear. Pro- it's not shot against like a rear projected no. screen. Like that's a. Fucking... Lee and I were like, this looks like, um, f- I don't know, like a seventies movie all of a sudden, or like French New Wave, I guess, because it's like real driving. <laughs> yeah, totally. But also, just like I'm thinking, like, I don't know, like there's something that fe- it feels just because of when it was made. It's like this feels extra unsafe like somehow this yeah. <laughs> this somehow this feels less safe than you know <clears throat> tom cruise driving a motorcycle through you know paris during rush hour um had to get my reference in um <laughs> then like all there's so many other effects too that was that were so impressive to me so many compositing effects that i that mm-hmm. you know it's like you you usually you know, when you have like these, when you have map paintings and stuff, you know, you can, you can just, you can find where the actual frame ends and where the painting begins. But there were points where I was like, where is the seam here? Like things, I mm-hmm. had no idea how they were doing. Oh, the freeze frame effect. It took yeah. me, yeah. it took me, um, I would say until, until they were in the, doing the operation that I could, that, I, and I was like, five inches from the TV set, just like watching the, the still people to see that, the, Oh, these people are just holding still. Right. Is that what was happening? Mm-hmm. Am I crazy? I think so. Oh, yeah. I think that's what they did. And that's insane. That imagine doing that for <laughs> 15 takes. Um, yeah. well, they apparently didn't do very many takes. Uh, I was watching one of the special features and, uh, 
I don't know how to say her name, but Thelma, like, Schoonmacher, Schoonmaker, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was talking about how the Powell and Pressburger were, I mean, it was a very low-budget movie. Like, it was made during the war. It didn't, it didn't come out, I think, until, like, right after, I think, 46 or something. Um, That's another but, thing. Uh, yeah. How is this mm-hmm. movie low budget like it looks like the yeah. it looks like the most expensive movie to be made in 1946 well and they were making it on technicolor and were delayed a lot like waiting for the film stock which like that must have been quite expensive mm-hmm. sorry yeah what were you saying mike uh, uh she was saying that they they pretty much kept it to one take unless something went like technically wrong um like with the the filming process and so uh they would get kind of frustrated with if the actor like basically the way they did a movie that looked this incredible uh, for as little money as they did it for was an, an, an extreme amount of pre-planning. Yes. Uh, they, you know, like she was talking about, because <clears throat> she's, I think she's primarily an editor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she's Scorsese's editor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I guess so she is primarily an editor. Probably the most famous editor. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but she was talking about that. the So not the scene where they first um, introduced the doctor, but the scene where he you know, uh, dies on his motorcycle towards the end. Um, that she's like, you know, there's, and she could recall it all from memory, like the, the cuts, but there's basically like four or five different scenes. And like one of them is just him, you know, waving his, like it's from his perspective on the bike, yeah. waving his hand. The other one is of like the headlight, uh, kind of rolling and there's some flames from the bike. And she's like, she even said, she's like, if they did that now with like the way they do digital films that, you know, it would be $250,000 and like, you know, all that, like it'd just be this huge thing. And she's like, but just with like five different little takes, they did this, you know, mm-hmm. really effective crash mm-hmm. scene. Uh, and I, I don't think she was trying to like say like things are bad now. She was just saying that like, it's pretty amazing. The amount of planning they put into it just paid off with this really effective movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, the, the, the crash scene I mean, was really, we, really striking. Like, and I think, like, violent in a way. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, part mm-hmm. of it might be the color, like, that that to us makes things look uh, like a movie from the 40s that's in color. It's scary to see, like, those flames in a way that maybe it wouldn't be if it was black and white. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. like, you know, this came out one year, probably less than a year after the end of the war. And... Like that shot in the plane crash scene of the of his dead co-pilot is like that is disturbing. Like, it's scary. And, and yeah. his, even his attitude, like it's funny, but also like very fucked up how he's talking to him. Like it, it's like it would. I just I tried to imagine. Like imagine you're like a British soldier, an American soldier who's like just come back, and like you're seeing this movie. It must have been. I mean, it's kind of violent and <laughs> weird. You're like, yeah, I just like, wow, this is right after the war that they're yeah. doing all this. Also, I want to call something out. Uh, I talked to Kit about this, and Mike, you won't know what I'm talking about, but um, that opening scene is like is like the entire basis of um, Captain America and Peggy Carter's relationship. <laughs> Uh, for all the oh, Marvel really? movies, yeah, I did. I was like, okay. I was like halfway through that scene, and when he's talking about like when he's like describing the date they're gonna go on or whatever, mm-hmm. I was like, holy uh-huh. shit! They like in the first Captain America, the the movie ends with yeah, it's the climax. The climax of the movie is Steve in a plane, and he has to crash it, and Peggy's on the radio, and he's talking about this date they're gonna go on. 
and then he crashed. Really? Yes. 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 Oh wow. And, and it was explicitly like that's what the Captain America guys were basing it on. Yeah. Uh, for like sure. obviously, but like they are completely open about that and that they like planned Mm-hmm. the film around that yeah, and also that awesome. like his name is even peter carter and like that's david oh, niven's yeah. character's name yeah and yeah. it's like revert it's a british person talking to an american mm-hmm. though they're like reversed for captain it's and there's really there, there, a great scene yeah it's a great scene and there's so many and the thing that's great about it is like you knew that they like watching it i was like okay they definitely were pulling from this movie and they had to they had to build up to it like they had to they had to create the framework of the movie in such a way that it would make sense for them to get to this point. Not just like mm-hmm. plot wise, but like with the care. I don't know. There's just like little references and things that um, like you, you just you could tell that they they started at the end and worked backwards. And I thought that was really cool. That's in cool. Captain America. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That they had like that was where they wanted to end up. Yeah, I actually and have th- it be like an effective ending. Yeah, exactly. I think a matter of life and death actually had it had maybe a harder job because we have to or i don't know well because you're starting you're because the whole the whole purpose of the scene Mm -hmm. is to establish that these two people love each Mm -hmm. other in this in this instantly um and then i think and then in captain america it's like you you don't have any problem believing that they love each other right um you know actually one of my notes was that i think that this this movie has one of the only like they fall madly in love when like under 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of the only times I've like bought it just because like her face, like when she's talking to him on the radio, Mm -hmm. even just in that opening scene, Mm -hmm. like just like, you know, I, sometimes you watch uh, movies from that era and like, and I love plenty of movies from that era, but Mm there's, there's a little bit of a more stage acting kind of style to the acting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think this movie doesn't have any of that, but like the close-ups on her in that opening scene, it's just like, she'll make like a small like facial expression that just kind of conveys like the pain and the worry mm-hmm. and like and it's just like immediately i'm like yep they're I, in love like i totally i'm on board for this for the rest i thought of the movie. this the exact same thing when they uh meet on the beach and she realizes it's him and it's just a close-up there's like no words for a while and like yeah. the I'm getting goosebumps like talking about it right now, <laughs> like the emotion she goes through. And I mean, she is she is a stage actor. She's one of the like, I mean, she won an Oscar for Streetcar. Like she's and do you know who recommended her to uh, to the directors for this movie? Uh-uh. Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, cool. Oh, really? He, he had done a screen test. I can't remember who for. Um, but she was the one she was the person he hired to read lines off camera to the screen tested actors and then he heard that uh pal and pressburger were looking for like a very like all-american girl and he recommended her so awesome so to me this is this what we're talking about this is the point of this whole movie it's calling bullshit on on umpteen dozen uh romance movies where people instantly fall in love with each other and it's just like totally tacky and you don't believe it um and this to me this movie does that but then makes it work like that's the whole point is like finding a like oh we can do this smartly we can do this with performance and we can actually we can actually make the audience believe it 
And I mean, yeah. yeah, she, and I mean, I think the other half of why you can believe it, you can believe it because of her performance, but you can mm -hmm. also believe it because he's like the coolest, funniest, he's great. most awesome <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. He's so charming. And like you, I mean, one of you would fall in love with him if you mm -hmm. were on, <laughs> on the other end of the call while he was, his plane was crashing. You'd be like, oh, he might have tits. I don't know. Like he's so, <laughs> he's, he's so the best. And, and, the, and IRL, he's also like so great i love him so much he's such a good actor but he's also just like a really cool guy um really funny pretty and, sure he's dead and sweet yeah but he wrote he, <laughs> he i don't know maybe you guys already know but he wrote he wrote several like um memoirs of and he was kind of famous for telling stories about old hollywood and like telling stories about marlon brando and humphrey bogart and he was really good friends with all these people because they all really liked him because he was a very cool funny guy Mm -hmm. um and he's just like he just he's really really funny what are some of his other like roles the big, bigger movies because i'm pretty sure i've seen him in other <clears> stuff but well he was, he was in uh the guns of navarone he okay. uh the original have i have either of you seen the original version of the preacher's wife um no the what the hell is one. it called no, it's a fa it was a very famous movie. Mm -hmm. What the hell is it called? The Bishop's Wife, I think. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, we're the a Bishop's strict Denzel only household here. So. Yeah. I think you would like it. It's a very that movie I thought about doing that one for this uh series too, even though it's not about death, but it was gonna be just kind of like supernatural romance. But it's a very weird movie because like David Niven plays this uh uptight, like very strict bishop who clearly is like not fucking his like super hot Loretta Young wife and uh then Cary Grant comes down as an angel and I kind of I think like basically gets saves their marriage by like well you she could just have sex with Cary Grant <laughs> kind of it's a it's a very it's I mean which is what the preacher's wife is too right where it's like I think so like for some reason the angel is like incredible is like the hottest man on the planet uh, whoever that is in our time and like goes from Cary Grant to Denzel Watt. anyway it's a weird movie <laughs> but it's very um he's very um funny in it and then obviously Pink <laughs> Panther um <clears throat> okay see yeah I've never seen any of the Pink Panther films. So. I've seen That's the cartoon. Weird. You should do a triple about that. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. My dad really wants to watch the first one with me. Like he, we've been mm -hmm. putting that off for a long time. Oh, Cas Casino Royale, um, Around okay. the World in Eighty Days. I guess is pr probably his. Mo I don't know. Is that like his most iconic movie? I don't know. Um, he won an Oscar for Separate Tables, which I'd never even heard of, and it's weird that he won an Oscar for it. But mm -hmm. um, the yeah. only version of okay. of eight around oh Wuthering Heights. The only ver what was that? Wuthering Heights. He's in Wuthering Heights. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, he's in the Olivier Wuthering Heights. Okay. okay. Death on the Nile, Murder by Death, which I'm gonna watch today. This is like the, all of these movies are like on lists. Like, yeah. Because that after uh, Knives Out came out, people were like, "Oh, well, you should watch Murder by Death." Uh, um, Death on the Nile. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Pink Panther. But my, anyways, we can we uh we can continue talking about a matter of life and death, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he's very cool. I really like him. Uh, one, he seemed cool. One more thing I wanted to say about the visuals. Mm -hmm. um, I was struck by how like dynamically shot this was for a movie from the 40s. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're used to, I feel like, seeing like kind of that sort of like stage. I don't know. Like everything's kind of that four thirds um, 
profile or three-fourths profile. Well, this is, I mean, this is like the people who made the red shoes making a slightly more restrained (laughs) movie. But it has that same, like, I mean, it's so modern. It's so modern. They pick, but just like the, they, they just like clearly, they, they move the camera is what I mean. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's very nice. It pays off big, well, I think. I I, can't, I almost hate to keep dwelling on the opening scene, um, but the part where, I mean, I just remember the camera, it starts, I believe, on the cockpit, and then it slowly just drifts over mm-hmm. to kind of down along the bottom of the plane, which is all torn up, uh, and then to, I believe, his dead, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, partner. I can't remember what his, his rank uh-huh. was or whatever. His bro. What's that? His bro. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of goes up to him and it's, yeah, like it doesn't feel, I, I mean, it can't, it couldn't have been handheld, but it, it, it has like a very, almost like a floaty kind of thing, which is also unique for like, we're on a plane that's crashing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but it's all smooth and nice. Yeah. And it's yeah. really like floaty, like kind of dreamy mm-hmm. almost. Um, but yeah. And I mean, there's probably other plenty of examples that aren't just from the first scene, but yeah, like lots of really, I don't know, clever and just visually mm-hmm. interesting and uh i don't know technique in the film so. they um there also was i see the thing that stuck out for me this viewing is like it's i haven't figured out how to describe it but it's like there are things about the movie where like it feels so composed like the way that she's laying when they're in the forest scene and it gets mm-hmm. frozen mm-hmm. like her yeah. her, her it feels very like I'm arranging and block like, but then at the same time, and the beach scene feels the same way where it's like, everything is like the, the, the boy shepherd boy is like sitting just so, but then also it feels like there's still spontaneity to it. That makes it like the way that people, I don't know. There was like a part where, where he's uh, when he shows up to her and he, she's like holding her bike. And then she lets go, I think, because she's going to kiss him or hug him. And then the bike almost starts to tip over and he grabs it. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, that had to be planned, but it's also, it's such a, it feels so deliberate. And like someone went, her bike needs to almost fall over here. It's like it simultaneously contributes to the dreamlike fantasy feel of the movie. And then also yeah. the like, these are real people feel of the movie. Yeah. It's really weird and interesting and apparently on that beach scene they were gonna fade up from black and then uh michael powell was just like he just looked through the camera and he was like it's gonna be too cheesy and so his i think cinematographer was like like just breathed on the camera and let the like his breath clear and he was like yep that's how we'll do it oh jeez but even then even in that case it wasn't like um not that that would be not that the fade up would be in the take, but they didn't like shoot something and then go, this isn't working. He just like looked through and was like, this is going to be stupid. And then they like tried that and then they just shot that. And it's like, it's so cool. And they and for the scene where they look down, like my favorite image in the movie is like all the holes in the ceiling of like the other world. That's like that was like my desktop background for a long time. It's, it's really such cool. A cool it's so awesome looking, but when they look down the hole, what they're looking at, there was actually like a twelve foot wide model of the file room that like 
I wish that still, <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> like, whatever they built for that is so cool. And then they just shot it down, like, a 14-foot tunnel. Yeah, that's um, the th- I don't understand. I'm still just, like, really confused how this movie could have been made so cheaply with some of the sets that they built. Like, that staircase thing yeah. alone yeah. is insane. And I yeah, have it, it costs- I have no idea... Truly, like, I have no idea where the set ends and... Um, me too. Yeah. That's hard for me because... I was trying to figure it out. <laughs> me too. Me too. I spent a lot of this movie asking myself, how did they make this movie? Because <laughs> I genuinely, like, I usually have, like, a pretty good idea. And this was, um, yeah, really impressive. <laughs> well, because this, it was actually huge. I think mm. it was... Wasn't it, like, the biggest... I don't know the biggest piece of set. There was there's some kind of record that it held at the time for how for how massive it was, mm-hmm. um, and it was so loud that like all dialogue had to be dubbed and like like it oh, was I'm had sure. a 12 horsepower engine in it, um, <laughs> and it was also in the in uh, the Bill and Ted sequel. They used the same the same set. They, ha- stairs, they had yeah. kept it. The- Ooh, okay. yeah. But instead of um, they put statues of David Niven and Michael Powell on it. Oh, oh that's awesome. Um, that's cool. I gotta rewatch that. Yeah. I'm gonna rewatch that now because that's awesome. So I'll see you guys it's later. It's the sequel to Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the sequel to Bill and Ted. I just I okay. don't remember that. Yeah. Um. So the, another thing that's crazy to me is I know I'm sure you guys knew this, but like, didn't didn't Michael Powell like end up like poor and penniless, and then Ma- Martin Scorsese just like found him somewhere? Isn't that like the whole thing? I don't know about that. Um, no, I do think it was like Thelma or. What was it? Well, my, the, uh, I know Martin Scorsese introduced them, and I think he had like fallen, like Michael Powell had like fallen into obscurity or something. I th- yes, I think that's. I don't think he was like penniless. I think he couldn't necessarily find funding for his for the projects that he wanted to work on. Um, but it does sound like all, of, almost like all of the Powell and Pressburger movies had sort of fallen into obscurity. And I don't know if that was like. Uh, Is it because of Peeping Tom that he like lost? his possibly i think that yeah i've I've, uh, yeah i feel like i've heard people say that that's sort of like it was such a sour movie that people like didn't want to like is it i guess is that a bad movie i've never seen i've never seen any of michael no no it's an amazing movie it's very dark and so i think it came out the same year as like psycho or something and so like people weren't really ready his wikipedia says that um his career suffered a severe reversal after the release of the controversial psychological theater thriller film peeping tom made in 1960 as a solo effort i mean that's pretty amazing that he was still um like breaking huge boundaries (laughs) like 14 years after this movie yeah like you know like just still finding ways to like push forward um my friend joe has been telling me to watch contraband for like several years maybe i'll watch that today too i've never seen that one when was that Huh? Contraband? Is that Michael Powell? That's Powell and Pressburger, and it calls it stars a uh, Conrad Veidt, and it's about like a um a blackout, I think. In it's like it's a like military supplies uh, thriller. <laughs> okay, military huh. surprise yeah. thriller. Supplies. Oh, a military. <laughs> if I re- if I recall correctly, military supplies thriller. Okay, that sounds cool. Yeah, I think this might be I think this might be the only Palin Pressburger film I've seen. I have seen Peeping Tom. You haven't that, seen I the Red think, Shoes? 
I started the red shoes, uh, and then I didn't finish it because I had to go to work. Um, Ugh. And, then- and I just never got around to it. But it is it's on Criterion Channel, and so like I fully plan to watch like Black Narcissus, Black Narcissus, uh, and then like Red Shoes and all that stuff one day. Because it's like I love this movie. I don't know why I'm not like digging through all their stuff. But- yeah, I've never seen any of this dude's movies. And you no. haven't seen you haven't seen the Red Shoes either, no, Andrew. I'm embarrassed. Okay, don't be embarrassed. Just watch it. Oh my yeah. God, you're gonna especially if you like the special effects and camera moves and shit in this and color. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's like yeah. this, like ramped up to a thousand. I'll buy the. Is it pretty long? The Red Shoes. Yeah, I don't I think, remember it being long. I feel like I feel like it was like three hours long or something, and I watched like the first hour, and then I was like, I can't. I have to go. Or something. I had to, maybe I went to sleep. I don't remember. Anyway, it's two hours. Two hours and fifteen minutes. That's long okay, for yeah. a movie from then, from that time period. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, I got it. Red Shoe Diaries. It's in my. It's in my box. It's on. It's on the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I thought one thing I liked. Um, I know it's. It, I'm going to probably refer to it as heaven. I know it's. It's not technically mm-hmm. heaven or whatever, but it's d- deliberately um, not it, heaven. <laughs> what's that? It's deliberately not heaven. Yeah. Um. But the, I thought it was cool that they did black and white for that instead of color. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I also, I guess, I, I think that that really, part of the message of the film is how precious, you know, life is and love is and all this type of thing. And so that really, that conveys that message uh, well. But then I also, you were talking a moment ago about the scene on the beach, right? When he kind of first washes up out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's one of the, like just I, I mean, it's really beautiful because it's like <clears throat> he thinks he's dead yeah uh we're not quite sure but everything is so like still and like peaceful but so beautiful and like he it, it, it's it's almost like everything is imbued with this like just you know uh heavenly quality and mm-hmm. because we're kind of expecting him to maybe be popping up in heaven as as he is at least mm-hmm. um and so i think like something in that was just like uh it's i mean it's not like they're beating you over the head with it but it's just sort of like that also along with the color and all this like just yeah. how beautiful the film that's is that's my favorite scene in the movie yeah it's it, and i don't even know if it struck me the first time i watched it but watching it this time i was just like this is you know well, because he, you're so yeah. impressed by that first scene mm-hmm. uh but um but yeah watching it again it was just like like he's wow. so great he's great in it all this it's also like God, remember? I mean, not that I this movie came out 42 years before I was born, but it's like there's so much silence in the movie. There's so much time of like you're just watching him like take off components of his uniform as he walks and take off his boot like as he's watching walking down the beach and it like adds they just they do a really good job of I mean, frankly, like using the the medium of cinema to yeah get the audience to think about the same stuff that the characters are thinking about. Like yeah. you're also watching that thinking like, wow, what a beautiful place. And like, how, how <laughs> heavenly it must be to be just like walking along this beach and um, this. And when he says, Oh my God, when he says like, Oh, I was hoping there would be dogs. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so I love that sweet. Yeah. So great. It's so good. M- yeah. Mike, did you think I, I, I I caught notes of uh like all the beach stuff all all of that felt very Dunkirky to me. I could see it. I mean, I mean, it's all beachy stuff, but just like even I don't know. Maybe this is just the way the way 
the beach looked that day and that's just a coincidence or whatever but maybe, just like a, maybe a, it was the same beach could be oh dang <laughs> i got a police siren um anyway there was um yeah it was like that first close-up of like it was just like wet sand and like mm-hmm. immediately i was like oh yeah no one loves this movie <laughs> oh i'm sure yeah, yeah i mean i'm sure he does mm-hmm. um but uh yeah that's interesting mm-hmm. it's almost like people who make movies today saw movies that were made in the past <laughs> and then got ideas from them very interesting it's that is like, interesting it's almost like I think art should recycles art yeah wow <laughs> um let's see what else we got? What what other um... apparently so when you look up so when you look up Dunkirk and Saunton Sands, which is where I think that was filmed, a lot it doesn't come up for the movie, but a lot of stuff comes up related to like the battle uh okay. Dunkirk. That there's stuff yeah. about Saunton Sands in there and like North Devon and everything, which I think is where he's supposed to be. I didn't totally understand the doctor character. Um, like, I think, I think maybe, I think I might've, maybe I missed something when he was introduced. Um, but like, he seemed like he was, like, he didn't, he was skeptical. And then, um, like he, he sort of, he, he's, it was, like he was treating David Niven's character as if what David Niven was telling him was Mm -hmm. completely factual. But then when he was talking Mm -hmm. to other people, he was talking about it like it was a fantasy and I couldn't tell if he was just like sort of like changing his position in order to communicate with different people or what he actually felt. Um, like if he was, if he actually believed that David Niven was like seeing what he was seeing or not. Um, no, I think he could see, um, that it was kind of a delusion that, uh, David Niven was having, kind of brought on by this trauma mm-hmm. and so he you know later in the film he's talking to them like this is his brain deciding whether or not it's going to go on or not and so we need him to win this trial in his head mm-hmm. so that so that that will be him saying like i am going to live like my th- you know right. that'll be yeah. i think he took the delusion very seriously like he he wasn't like this guy's insane. It's just like like you have to take what he's thinking as if it's real in order to save his life. And yeah. and then I guess and then I guess since the movie doesn't really resolve Mm-mm. whether any of this happened or not, we don't actually need to see the doctor like have like a moment of realization that everything he was saying is true. No. Okay. Well, I don't know that any everything he was saying is true. I think the I don't think the movie knows whether No, I know that's what that's what I'm yeah, saying, but like right. when the doctor the doctor gets to heaven and he's just like, "Oh, cool. Bus- yeah. or not or not heaven." And he's just like, yeah. "Oh, yeah, business as usual." But that's, that's not necessarily <laughs> the same character anymore. Right. Okay. Right, but it does I mean, it raises the question, you know, there's I think there's clues or there's like David Niven, how would he know that the doctor even died? Like he was already there, unconscious, right? There's that there's that scene on the ambulance where she tells him. Um, but he's unconscious at that point, isn't he? He's talking back and forth with her. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. you know, he he might be uh, all right, not fully there. But no, I think it's I I would probably if I had to pick a side, I would say that this is all in his head. Ugh. Um, but that there are but the book, baby. <laughs> no, yeah, and there's things like that where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. maybe you know, like there, I think there's little. 
Um, but even, uh, so Thelma pointed out, which this is not something I got, but when, um, what's it, Inspector 71, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. So Conductor he, 71. Oh, Conductor. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think, so he has her cry, on her, her tear onto a little rose. Mm-hmm. And so I guess earlier in the film, kind of when he's first meeting the doctor, uh, and there's that there's that Shakespeare tryouts or something in the back or the rehearsals or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, she, uh, what I can't. What's the actress's name? Kim Hunter. Kim Hunter. She has a uh, little rose like on her jacket. Mm-hmm. That, that rose on her jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, I guess that would make sense. Oh yeah. Well, no, because that carries through to the trial. Mm-hmm. But no, she's wearing that anyways because he doesn't pull that uh, inspect. Uh, Conductor doesn't pull that out of his jacket. She's wearing that when he pulls it off to capture a tear, right? I thought he not. was wearing it. He was wearing it because when he comes, doesn't okay, he? Okay, that must be it. Yeah. So he's like, "Oh, wait!" And then he puts it up to her face to catch the t- to catch the yes. tear. Okay, and so that's it. That there's these little kind of things that mm-hmm. David Niven is seeing as he's going through, and he's carrying those through back to his dream or to his his right. Uh, well, and state. like when he's when his plane's crashing, he quotes a lot of poetry to her. And mm-hmm. then in the other world, like po- people are just, like constantly like yeah. talking about poetry and quoting poetry. Oh, one thing I want to say, Andrew, mm-hmm. there's someone you love is in this movie. Yeah, Richard Attenborough. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't find him. <laughs> He's you. You don't know what? Do you know what he is now? Who he is now? I mean, he was like a he was like a, a pilot or a soldier. It's just something. But, but I, did, he's the guy who comes in and says it's heaven, isn't it? And he looks like oh. the cutest little <laughs> baby. Oh my god, he's so cute. And Lee and I were like, it's funny. Like there is a he. That's kind of the same character he plays in Jurassic Park in a way of just like a guy who's like full of wonder <laughs> at everything. Like just like a. I mean, it's I guess more sinister in a way in Jurassic Park, but he's just like a wide-eyed cutie Mm -hmm. (laughs) so speaking of i know we've talked about the influence this movie must have had on contemporary filmmakers but like spielberg has to love this movie i feel Mm -hmm. like this is like there's so much in this. i was thinking of um (laughs) of his movie always the whole time which is also a supernatural romance i've never seen that it's not it's not a good i did i do not like Mm -mm. it um okay it's really well directed but i think the story like i think it in 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 every way that this movie succeeds in making me believe um, a romance that happened over twenty hours uh, is viable, that movie fails to do so. Okay. Um, and that romance, yeah, you know what's over weird? a longer period of time. That didn't even come up when I was searching for uh, like, oh, what are other like supernatural romances? <laughs> like, it's and that's a remake of a guy named Joe or whatever. I think a guy named Joe did. But yeah, like all, I'm like that's so weird. Mm-hmm. It's kind that, of it's kind I mean, of it's lost. That, yeah, yeah, that movie's <laughs> kind of lost. Um, it's yeah, it's definitely not. I mean, there's plenty of movies I haven't seen, but yeah, it's not one that comes up when it's like, you know, the best of Spielberg. It's most famous even... for being Audrey Hepburn's last movie, I think. Okay, yeah. she was very good friends with David Niven. Hmm. Interesting. He was also um, very good friends with Grace Kelly. It is really interesting, though, to me. Um, like I was thinking about. Because this is a thing that really frustrates me about romance movies. Um, like, like Titanic is a movie that I that I have a, a lot of problems with because I do not buy the love story at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I think it was a really interesting task, even more so than the the technical stuff, to 
take a schmaltzy love story and make, um, you know, the most hardened heart <laughs> believe that it was, um, like real. I think that that was, uh, I think that's really cool. Um, mm -hmm. well, yeah, that they have such a weird way of following, falling in love. I mean, we've kind of already said this, but like, I mean, it's even more compressed than it usually is in a rom-com. Yes. And you completely get on board with it. Well, I think, and there's something about, like, the, it's it's their chemistry, too, because it's like, yeah. there is that moment where they're like, uh, where the, the dude is like, you know, she basically says, like, yeah, I don't even know this dude. Um, but. Oh, yeah. He asks her, he's like, um, how long have you known him or something like that? And, she, or do you know it you know him well and she's like not really exactly but it's like it's like that <laughs> juxtaposed to just like the way they stand next to each other it doesn't mm -hmm. seem like there isn't like this sort of like um like the uh, sort of like infatuation or like you know they're not they're not they're not doing anything very practical exactly they're not doing anything like physical that's like where they're like having needing to be all over each other or whatever there's and nothing I think that forced that is... about it there's I like think a, that's it's like a comfort. The war. Yeah, I think part of that is like an understanding mm -hmm. of how the war affected people because like a lot of people got married like <laughs> very suddenly, like both because like people were going off to war, mm -hmm. like so it's like get married before you leave. Um, and then also just like you've suffered a lot, you don't want to waste any more time. Interestingly, um, David Niven married his first wife after I think 17 days of knowing her and his second wife after 10 days of knowing her and wow. neither ended in divorce. His first wife died tragically. She was playing hide and seek at, I think Errol Flynn's house and went to hide in the closet, but it was a basement and she fell down the stairs and died. Oh my um, gosh. What the yeah. fuck? And like he was, I read something where like uh, Clark Gable got him through it because Clark Gable had lost Carol Lombard tragically uh, in uh -huh. the war. And like, I just think, and I mean, he like, and David Niven um, was one of the first uh, Hollywood actors to join the military after World War II started. Um, and he, uh, he talked, like he told, he was known for telling stories, but he would like never talk about the war. Like the only thing he would say about the war is that, um, he was asked by a friend's family to find his grave, I think. Mm -hmm. And he went to find it and there were like, I don't know, just like thousands of guys buried in that one place. And he said like, so I learned this, like, this is why you don't tell stories about the war. Like just so he just never talked about it. But I think that plays into like how both like what you're saying, both how they fall in love so quickly. It's like the consequent like the conditions of it are very um, heightened, mm -hmm. but also like they're very uh, <laughs> their eyes are wide open about it, too, because they've they've just they've been through a lot, I think. Yeah. And they, they're just that, adults. <laughs> another movie that this reminds me of is Speed. Because like that's like mm -hmm. a that's like a major part of that movie where it's and they actually call it out. They're like relationships mm -hmm. that start in uh, in heightened situations, like they don't really work out or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that I don't know. I think it's 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 interesting to call that into question and then and then make that the point of your movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah the movie that it's weird that it's like this big fantasy about where like 
the the belief in the like set apart importance of love is very important but then it's also kind of like realistic about Mm -hmm. love and even the way she's taking care of him like i think it's it also helps that he starts in a position of kind of i mean david niven is not like some traditional example of masculinity but like his his first at least i don't know from an american perspective he's not um but like his first scene is like he's in a very heroic context like even though he's being a huge weirdo like he's like you know that's a very like i think (laughs) hyper masculine introduction to his character but then he spends the rest of the movie being like infirm and sweaty and kind of incapacitated and unable to do anything um and she's like I don't know. There's something about it's like she's the right amount of worried about him. It's not melodrama. She's not like, please, you must help. But she's like, you know, going around trying to figure out like what's wrong with him. There's like still like a sense that these people have like been through a lot of tragedy and they just have a very like pragmatic way of conducting their lives. And like that it's cute about it's cute about the kind of environments of the war of like all these soldiers hanging out and trying to like Americans trying to do Shakespeare ha 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 and like all this (laughs) stuff but it also still like respects them a lot clearly um Mm -hmm. and apparently a big reason the movie was made was to improve uh British American relations uh because British people had a very uh negative image of Americans which is like why the whole (laughs) trial at the end ends up yeah. being about that which is kind of a surprise <laughs> like um <laughs> I love that. But yeah because they joined the war so late and then the, and then we're like still in england and britain even though the war was over right and they, yeah. they found americans like really obnoxious and yeah. overly enthusiastic and loud yeah and, you know and they're definitely yeah and they definitely like i mean the americans are like kind of buffoons in yeah. this but i mean they're still their sacrifice is obviously like acknowledged. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of them showing up in the other world. Yeah. And all the, I think like the nurses, there's the American nurses and then there's, I guess the British nurses mm-hmm. are um, very highlighted during the trial mm-hmm. as well as like, you know, actually that was another interesting thing is the, uh, I guess the, I, I, I assume Americans, but the black Americans. Uh, yeah that they kind of highlight them in the trial. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, for a movie from 1946, like, I don't know that it was like unheard of, but that was cool. I thought. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know about those guys, but I mean, I know that a lot of the extras in those scenes were real, like RAF survivors and stuff. So I don't okay. know what they did for the Americans. If those were all like actors, but like there was, I will say like, first of all, it's strange I think part of the reason that stands out is because, like, what's another time in film that you see a big group of black people, like, in black and white, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. just, like, oh, yeah. just, like, that, like, you don't see that. So it's, like, it's, it's, like, a little, it's, like, jarring almost to see that in black and white. By the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but the black and white film is actually Technicolor film that they just didn't process after. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did know that. And that's adds to it looking all like pearly and like otherworldly, mm-hmm. which so, is really cool. Okay. That was something actually, uh, I don't, I don't personally have too much 
note-wise on this because I kind of just got wrapped up in it. Like Me all either. Of my I notes. took no notes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have hardly any notes. <laughs> but um, from the from the Thelma, the special feature with Thelma Schoenmacher, um, she talked about how... So Jack Cardiff was the cinematographer, and I guess he had trained at the Technicolor Labs. And everybody, like when they would try to... Um, she said they even during Raging Bull, they had this problem. But when they would try to shoot on color film stock and then I guess, I don't know, make it black and white. Like you would always get like weird, like hues, like it would kind of be yellowed or it would be blue mm-hmm. or something like that. But not only was he able to shoot Technicolor film, you know, with black and white, I, I guess it has to do with the dyes after, like it's kind of a processing uh, or like an after thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he could do those freaking transitions where it like, yeah. it's the same shot and it goes from black and white. And this yeah. is like, you know, I don't know. 40 to 50 years before they mm-hmm. would digitally do that um same shot and it goes to that like and it's not just like oh it's turning color it's like it's beautiful like it's like yeah. slowly gets blue and then the reds and the yellows come in and it's just like uh but apparently he was like just so good that he could do that and like nobody uh nobody else is able to you guys gotta watch the red shoes man <laughs> yeah no i know that's yeah one of those like all-time classics that's just been on my list it's in my cart 10 years yeah yeah <laughs> Um, let's see if I had anything else from her. Um, so I guess the medical symptom symptoms that Niven has are like classic epilepsy, uh, mm-hmm. and that they did pretty good medical research and they, uh, that it was really important to the directors to like mm-hmm. have it sound medically authentic. Uh, but there was apparently enough of a stigma against epileptics at the time or epilepsy itself that they were afraid that would sour audiences. So they never, Weird. they never specifically say like, Oh, you know, this crash induced epilepsy in him. And so now we have to cure him of that, which I thought was weird. Did you notice what um, all the statues on the staircase have in common? No. I just saw it as like philosophers and religious figures. They are people who are said to have suffered from epilepsy. Really? Yeah. So like, and also like uh, uh, John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress guy who like shows up as uh, the doctor's conductor. He also, also I think. Um, yeah. Isn't that weird? Why was, that is weird. Why was there a stigma against epilepsy? Why was there a stigma about a whole bunch of things? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I, I wonder think if it you was... seem crazy, maybe. Yeah. It, that you, like if people would have a seizure and it would cause all this ruckus and it's like, oh, you don't want them around. He's going to, you know, because you have, I'm sorry, actually. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, um, what else we got? So it's weird though because I don't think like he. You would think they would know that. The, you know what I mean? The audience would know that, or no that that the other characters in the movie like. That means he's not just like asleep, right? I mean, I don't know. Can you have epilepsy where like you don't have maybe the, like you like. Maybe it's just like in your brain, and you don't have the accompanying like uh, uncontrollable like movements. Maybe like he's I, just like I he's know. just. Yeah, I don't know anything about epilepsy really, other than I know that it's people have seizures, and sometimes you're not able to drive and things like that. I used well, to have it. Okay, so yeah, what uh, is is the smell something that happens, or uh, did you ever oh, have seizures? Yeah, yeah, I had a few seizures. I had a few grandma seizures. Um, okay. I don't remember any smell. I remember the feeling of losing consciousness and like Weird. the way your body, like, it's really, really weird. I've, 
but it sort of felt like um like when you're reading or you're talking out loud and and then you sort of it's like you lose control of your motor function and and so you're still trying to talk and so it's like just like kind of noises are coming out yeah and then your body like tenses up in this really unnatural way and i remember feeling like as i was losing consciousness one of the most striking things was i remember feeling i was reading teen magazine or 17 or something <laughs> um, and i remember um oh it's snowing really hard now uh, anyway cool yeah very cool but i remember my mouth op- like because i was talking out loud and i remember my mouth to- opening and I remember the noise turning from words into just like monotone gobbledygook. And then uh-huh. I remember feeling like my mouth was opening so wide that it was going to go around my skull and swallow my Ugh. head. Like I just remember. Oh boy. And like that's what it, it felt like. And then um, and then when I woke up, uh, I woke up very slowly and discovered that I had wet my pants. <laughs> Wow. So you said you don't have it anymore? Like it just, it has gone away? No, I had it as a kid. Um, I discovered it. Well, I had always had, it's a, I had a very rare form of it um, that was induced by like the eye strain, the particular eye strain that happens when you're reading. Um, Okay. And I would, I would get these sort of like, um, these sort of, I think that like petite mal seizures, uh, which I didn't know that's what they were, but they're just like, you don't lose consciousness and it just like you lose control of your body for a second. But it's like, uh-huh. I would be reading out loud in class and that sort of loss of function with my mouth would happen for brief. Wow. Mo- that fast. Mm-hmm, brief moments. Cause I mean, if you're reading out loud in class, you're not like reading a ton of text. Yeah. You just, I would just, wow, like if I was reading amazing. for like 30 seconds or something like that, like I would just, and I would, and I never knew what it was. So I would always just power through it. It was like this annoying thing would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day I was, and it would happen when I was reading silently too, but I remember it was just like one day we were in the car and I just like, it kept happening and I just kept like pushing past it and being like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is annoying. And, and then it just like, Oh no, now it's time for the big one. Um, and then from there we thought maybe it was just an anomaly. Um, but I was reading some book in high school, like a year later, six months later. And, uh, and it happened again and then I couldn't, huh. and I just, I couldn't drive until I was like 18 or something like that. And I was on medication for a few years, but I haven't, Interesting. I haven't really, the, the, the sort of weird, t- like loss of motor function moment things, um, like those sort of just stopped happening once I got older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah. Oh, huh. um, I, I wonder if a plane crash could trigger epilepsy we should find like, out could it trigger you to start having it <laughs> that'd be cool i mean i, mean, I guess could... a brain injury probably could right right probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. some sort of and actually yeah. uh there was part of what inspired this movie was that they had heard about a pilot during the war who had jumped out of his plane without a parachute and survived um wow so that you know, so that's not epilepsy but that at least is a possible thing in this you know potentially fantastic movie that's like but, the uh, thing when he he says that when he's like I he says something like I'd rather f- fly than burn or I'd rather jump than burn or something. And he's, yeah, I didn't get uh-oh. that. It's like because he also acknowledges that either way he's not going to be feeling much of anything. So what's the difference? It's just so matter of fact about like these horrible things. Like then he's like 
talk, you know, it's it's such a um it kind of just goes to like the movie being kind of dark and violent in a way about a really recent like real event and like you hear you watch mm-hmm. that scene and you think like that happened to a lot of people. Yeah. For sure. And um, and yeah. and I think and 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 the, like the matter of factness I think juxtaposed to the one of the opening images which is of is of of a like a grisly dead like just like a dead dude right and it looks mm-hmm. horrible um yeah like i think i think that kind of it sort of enables the audience to kind of go along with it without mm-hmm. really taking any of the weight away from it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pretty cool guys this movie's good it's it really really good it's As a great great this. writing too mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. ahead Mike. yeah well, yeah, and as I was watching it yesterday, like, um, I feel like this would be, like, one, like, if I ever have kids, like, you know, I think part of it's because the color reminds me of Wizard of Oz. Yeah, But I also totally. feel like this would be a really good, like, movie to be like, see? Like, movies in the 1940s were good, too. Like, or, you know, yeah. like, kind of get them introduced to, like, classic cinema and stuff. But I also just, like, it's so, like, it's so it's so technically clever mm-hmm. and good. Mm-hmm. And then also the story is so wonderful. Like I just, mm-hmm. it's such a great movie. And then there's just like but, uh, weird. It's very weird. I love how weird it is. The eyelid. Yeah. The fucking mm-hmm. eyelid. Yes. Yeah. The fu- yeah. <laughs> that was nuts. Oh. So there's this, yeah. there's this scene where he's about to go under and they wanted to have the, 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 like usually they do like the kind of like double iris thing. But mm-hmm. in this, they just decide to do this big mechanical eyelid that comes in front of the camera with like veins and mm-hmm. and all, and it's great. It's so great. It's cool. Yeah. Um, God, so cool. Did anybody have any other notes or anything they want to? Not really, man. I, okay. It's 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 you know it's funny because like I feel like we watch a lot of bad movies and we talk about how hard they are to talk about. Right, uh, and then we watch a lot of good movies, and they're hard to talk about. Um, I think yeah. I think bad movies are easier to sort of complain mm-hmm. about and find funny things to to jump off of. But this is just like just such competent filmmaking that it's like all I can yeah. do is really sit here and appreciate it. Yeah, it's like it's 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 competent, but also very fun and like mm-hmm. risk taking. Mm-hmm. Like it's like obviously made by like master filmmakers but then they're also doing stuff that might not work totally yeah and like i love the frozen ping pong ball scene like my favorite part about that scene is like when he wakes up and there's like no sound except his voice very cool so like when he trips over the books and they fall down and you're, it's just it's very disorienting, like yeah. in a really cool way. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it's really. It's cool. just nice watching something that you can tell people put a lot of thought into, and um, and and yeah, I think the, the all of the planning and stuff that you mentioned earlier, like it absolutely shows. Like you can't, you can't do that. Like you you can't make a movie like this without really really thinking it out. I feel like mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm 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 always a little resistant to like say that any any era of filmmaking is necessarily not even era, but just like a time when we, when films are being made were was, you know, there was a better time to make movies than, um, than any other time. It's just like the people who are making them. But, um, yeah, I think this is like a case where it's like, I just have a hard time thinking there are very few filmmakers who I think could make this movie today. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lee was saying there were parts of it that reminded him of um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. I think maybe like, I think he was talking about like the motorcycle scene, but I mean, that reminded me of like, just thinking, like just thinking of it now, like that reminds me of in Phantom Thread when they're driving down the road in his cute little small car, like really, really fast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, that could be totally just me cherry picking something that has nothing to do with it. I think though, like, I mean, PTA does have, there is kind at least in the (laughs) ones I've seen, like Magnolia and... Um. Uh, punch drunk love. There is that also that feeling of like this is very real. These are very real people, but it's also like a very fantastical version of our world. Like mm-hmm. at the same time, and that feeling of like everything's tightly composed, but then there's still like spontaneity happening, like in the performances. For sure. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. He does. He does do that. Um, and he pulls from a lot of. We were talking about this last night. He pulls from from things that I think help kind of um, like drive home that sort of like real, like sort of surrealist sort of Mm -hmm. feel to it. Like um, there's this, there's this shot in Boogie Nights. Uh, Mike, you know, the pool party scene, you know, the I am Cuba shot where the camera's like follow going. It's like tracking around the whole, um, the whole pool party. Yeah. Where uh, Philip Seymour happens at like at the bar yeah, kind of towards the ex- beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And it like goes into the pool and comes out. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. that's this that there's this propaganda film called I Am Cuba, uh, like the Soviets made, and it's beautiful. You should watch it. Um I think Criterion put it out. But uh yeah, he pulled this shot, this this tracking shot from that, and it's sort of like it's it's just all about the decadence of like of you know, capitalism and all that stuff during the Batista era. But um, it's huh. very, but it also has this very, like, dreamlike quality to it. Like, yes, this is a real thing, but it's got this added, like, sort of ethereal layer to it. Um, so I totally, I totally, anyway, all that to say, I totally see the the connection that Kit's making. I think it's yeah. it's very prevalent in, in PTA's work. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, like, that's, like, just, like, a a kind of, like, appreciation. Like, even in, like, Paul Thomas Anderson's, like, darker. I don't know. I don't know if this is true. But it's just, like, there's a real um, optimism, kind of, about, like, the beauty of the world. Like, like this movie feels so like 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 the choice to make the afterlife in black and white and the world in color mm-hmm. um like that speaks s- so highly of the world you know of earth mm-hmm. especially after like going through world war 2 and like so much like horror and stuff but that like they like it's kind of a defense of like humanity, basically. This this movie. This is kind yeah. of yeah. This is yeah. You're really reminding me of Punch Drunk Love right now. Like, yeah, definitely. Like there's that scene, yeah. there's that scene where like he gets his ass kicked, and mm-hmm. um, and then he kind of flips the script on them, and and he. 
it's it's a very it's all very violent and brutal and horrible and then he goes and sees the mattress man and he and he gives that beautiful speech about yeah. how there's yeah. there's a love in my life and it makes me stronger than anything you could ever imagine or something and it's just yeah. and yeah. you have no problem believing that whatsoever it's, yeah. I mean, I have goosebumps right now. Just that scene is incredible. <laughs> well, yeah. and like the tiny, just the, like mm-hmm. in, from a particular perspective, like from the perspective of heaven, maybe like, although, okay. From the perspective of the other world, from the bureaucrats in the other world, like these dramas are very insignificant. But like in the life of the characters, like this is the most dramatic, like mm-hmm. romantic thing that will ever happen to them like it does and i feel like that's also kind of the perspective of punch drunk love like he's this guy living this very small life but like the way that he becomes a hero in his life is through this you know relationship Mm -hmm. and i mean that's not that's it's not that it's the same message in a matter of life and death but it's Mm -hmm. the same kind of like attitude toward (laughs) people and relationships i think it's It's like something similar there you know the world is cynical but like you know we don't necessarily have to be and I like that. I like that. Well, and that's actually uh, Scorsese mentioned in the special feature he was in on this uh, on the on the Blu-ray that it really contrasts to kind of the major post-war mm-hmm. film genre was film noir, and right. like that. I mean, that's like very you know, bleak and gritty, and you know, mm-hmm. the man against the system. Which I guess this is kind of a man against the system. I mean, this is a man against the system story. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, just like so but much. But everyone's more nice. Everyone, even the bad right. guy in this movie is um, that's true. Uh, Raymond Massey, and he's like a good guy. Yeah, I didn't think <laughs> yeah. of him as a, I didn't even consider that he was a bad yeah. guy until you. Like yeah. everyone's trying to help David Niven. Like ev- even like even like you know the Americans are portrayed as kind of like dumb and uncouth, but like everyone's cooperating. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Together. Um, yeah, they're all good people. I was watching it thinking about what I believe Sydney said about um, uh, Jerry Maguire, which is like everyone's like trying to be a good person. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, yeah, and I feel like that's yeah. There's really no bad guy in this film, but there's still yeah. a lot of like drama. I really, I mean, I really like the main characters and everything, but my favorite is the uh, oh, now I'm gonna mess with it. conductor. Is it conductor or inspector? Yeah, conductor. Yeah, like that role. Like he was just every every t- like every scene he was in, there was something that I actually mm-hmm. laughed out loud at. Like he was really good. That's Raymond yeah. Raymond Massey. You... No, no, Raymond Massey um, is the uh, is the Abraham American guy, the the... Abraham. Yeah, yeah that, that is. I can't remember that his name is Marius Goring or Goring. Marius Goring. Yeah, I think and something like that. He's in the red shoes him. too, and he's like okay. amazing in that okay. as well. Mm. I loved him. I thought he was great. Um, he wanted to play Peter. He was like, I'll only be in the movie if I can play Peter. And then Pal and Pressburger were like, uh, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the role we're offering you, <laughs> which like that guy, he was so great at that. And like, I can in no way picture that actor. Cause I mean, he's, I know him from like this and the red shoes. He's basically like the MC from cabaret is like, he's like a, uh, what's his name kind of guy. Uh, Joel Gray kind of that kind of character actor I feel like it's like that would be so weird if he was like (laughs) the lead in this movie interesting well shall we uh, do our cruise minute or is is it time for that yeah let's do it yeah Um, I can start actually I do have a cruise minute all right this is has nothing to do with the film Mm -hmm. that we watch but uh, I recently watched 
uh, Edge of Tomorrow for the second time. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great film. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I I know that it like when it came out, people were like, "It's great. Why aren't people going to see it?" And it kind of I think it kind of tanked, or maybe it like broke even. So but. it 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 did not open super well, but it okay. it had a lot of staying power, mm-hmm. and um and broke well over a it it did it did make it ended up making a lot of money. Um, oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Because I know they changed like the name on the Blu-ray, like it was like live, die, repeat edge of tomorrow mm-hmm. instead of just edge of tomorrow. So I thought maybe there was, you know, like what they did with Harley Quinn. Like I, so I thought maybe it was like, yeah, hadn't done well. it was confusing. But, um, yeah. Yeah. But no, it's great movie. I guess I'm sure you both have seen it maybe. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was, it was good. It was, it was a good one to revisit and uh, he, he was great in it. So. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I think they like the kind of, the sort of end is sort of like the, there's parts of the third act that I remember being kind of confusing. But yeah, at the yeah. very end, but I wasn't sure about. Yeah. Well, they, there's like a romantic plot between him and Emily Blunt, right? A little bit. No. Well, it's which you just like kind of don't need. More of an appreciation, I would say. Okay. Yeah, it's like because well, and so uh, spoilers, I guess, because we're not specifically talking about this movie, so maybe <laughs> I shouldn't spoil much about it. But um, basically, because he's repeating he comes to know her so much better and so it, actually that's kind of an like interesting about time, time. In this movie what's that like about time well i was gonna say like this movie like they, yeah. he he knows her for such a long time and she only knows him yeah. for that 24-hour love so it's hard for her to kind of get on board um but he definitely comes to appreciate and like i would say love her but not it's not like a romance where like okay good. you know he like sweeps her off her feet at the end they don't like or kiss or anything i don't remember i don't think so but uh you'll have okay, to watch it not. to find out but that would be um, that would be cool like a movie a triple that was like that and about time, although I don't really ever want to watch about time again. And like something where like, it's weird that there's more than one movie where that's a thing where like you fall, like you are spending more time a per- with a person than they're spending with you. Yeah. Oh, Groundhog Day. That's a good one. That's yeah, becoming, exactly. It's, it's weird. Yeah. It's becoming like a, a, a weirdly popular like uh thing again to make movies like that because there's like three or four of them coming out in the next couple oh years. yeah well then also that space movie kind of with chris pratt and mm-hmm. jennifer lawrence is a little bit like that oh yeah passengers mm-hmm. yeah, yeah is there ever one that is reversed gender <laughs> like like it's always that's always like the man is spending more time with the women than the other way around not that i can think of we like to watch hmm. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Uh, um, Edge of Tomorrow made three hundred seventy million dollars on a hundred seventy-eight oh. million dollar budget. Wow. Okay. okay. So, Good. You know. Good. It's all right. It's not bad. Um. So, uh, cruise minute for either of the other, e- either of either of the others, either of the was, other two of you. Um. I was. Like, I was trying to think who he would play in, in this, this movie. movie. Ooh, yeah. That's good. Because he love he'd want to be in the plane crash, but I kind of don't see him as the lead. I could see him as the captain who died. I could see him as. What about the doctor? Uh, I see him as conductor, uh, seventy one yeah, rep- reprising basically Lestat. I think yeah. that would be really fun. Yeah, that's what I'd cast him as. I could see that. Or I mean, the doctor who pa- who passes away. Ooh, it's on the he could also be he could also be Raymond Massey. Is that the doc like the uh, one who ultimately performs no, the surgery? The, uh, no, the no no. Uh, Raymond Massey is the Brit is the um, the the prosecutor, the American oh, guy. The American, the Revolutionary Era fellow. Yeah, 
Yes. He yeah, could do he that. It would be like a like uh, a few good men. He he's he's great. He played uh Abraham Lincoln uh famously. In what um, movie? On on stage and screen. I think it's the young, young Mr. Lincoln. Hold on. Young Mr. Lincoln is uh fond Oh no, that's Abe Lincoln in Illinois. Okay. I'll have to check that out. I like I like a good Lincoln film. Which means that he must be he must be playing a lawyer in that movie too. The link. Are we oh, talking about the Lincoln okay. lawyer so, now? <laughs> no, but I'm saying so. Maybe that's why they that. why they thought of him for this. Oh. Okay, I'm ready for my um, I'm ready for my cruise minute. Okay, what you got? So apparently, um, Tom Cruise paid for the in flight training for his co stars in Tom uh, mm-hmm. Top Gun Maverick, and I got this great quote from Glenn Powell, who's in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, "Try not falling in love with aviation after living out every pilot's dream while shooting Top Gun, especially when you see the way Tom Cruise flexes it. After wrapping a shooting day, Tom would rocket off into the sunset in his P fifty one, while I would limp, <laughs> while I would limply shuffle, while I would limply shuffle into the cast van. The wings were just so much cooler than the wheels. And for Christmas, <laughs> Tom bought me an iPad with my flight school downloaded and prepaid. And yesterday, after months of flying and studying and testing, I'm the real deal. Tom Cruise just like helped this dude become a real pilot in his private life just because he, <laughs> just because he's nice. That's awesome. That's- I really want a present from Tom Cruise. Like, there's a lot of people who have really good present from Tom Cruise stories. You know what I want? I want to have a real conversation with him. And just, I just, I want to get to a point where I can just ask him, like, what's up, dude? What's going on? <laughs> You'll ruin it. I know. He will never speak to you again. You would never. You wouldn't I have wouldn't. the freaking balls. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> but maybe if we became, if maybe if we became really good friends and we were like on a trip together. And like he, Ooh. you know, like he couldn't. He, he flew he, and he flew us there. He flew it. Right. Exactly. If we're making our cruise wish lists, I, uh, I would just like to talk to him about just the, everything about Eyes Wide Shut. Talk about Kubrick, talk about just the whole production process and everything. That's my wish. Make it come true, Tom. Make it come true. I feel like Tom Cruise would know what I want better than I do. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> I think he knows us better than we know ourselves. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think he's listening um, right now. Probably. It <laughs> feels good was? to think that he is. <laughs> uh, Kit, did you have, wait, did you already do a minute? Yeah, you said. Yeah, I said fast. I think yeah. he'd be good conductor 71. Okay. Yeah. I just um, really want him to play a dandy again. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so that's the cruise minute. So I believe we have completed the episode. Mm-hmm. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Okay. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, folks. And next, uh, join us next time. But Mike, for what 1990s. episode are we, what, what movie <laughs> are we going to watch next week? Oh, gosh. Thanks for reminding me, Andrew. I had almost forgotten. You're welcome. Uh, join us next time, folks, for 1990s Truly Madly Deeply. Mm-hmm.